What if I told you there is a cloud accounting ERP system that has over 5 million users worldwide, and this ERP system only has one accounting firm listed in their find an accountant directory for all of North America? I'm guessing you're thinking, it sounds like an opportunity to get new clients and grow your firm. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Odoo, later in the episode. The title of the article says, Sage customers are losing their minds and could face SARS trouble after outages, SARS being the South African Revenue Agency. They said, Customers of cloud accounting system from Sage are threatening legal action, protest march, marches, and arson on top of demanding refunds and scalps for the outage Thursday. Arson and, and, and protest marches? This, is, this doesn't sound like cloud accounting to me. Some took to Sage's own platforms to express more than mild disapproval, and more private forums and conversations, lurid threats of violence were common. Today is January 31st, 2021. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, GameStop, what to say about GameStop? We had some listeners ask us to explain it, which was super intimidating because that's all people have been doing all over media all week is trying to explain GameStop. And some have done it better than others. I wanted to point our listeners to a really, really good explanation that I heard rather than me trying to do it. It's on the Planet Money podcast. They did an episode called Can't Stop GameStop. Search Planet Money, Can't Stop GameStop. You'll find it. It's a 30-minute explanation of what happened and features an interview with one of the guys on the Wall Street Bets Reddit, a subreddit. He invested $200,000 and turned it into $4 million. Just a regular guy. Really interesting story worth listening to. I mean, we could try doing the Cliff Notes version. I mean, the Cliff Notes version is basically this, right? Hedge funds like to short stocks. Company like GameStop, which is brick and mortar. People took a long short on them. And as short being that they were betting the stock would go down. Betting the stock would go down. Yep. And we've talked about this phenomenon before where you have a bunch of millennials like Blake, like yourself, that have gotten extra money through their stimulus checks and they all opened up Robinhood accounts and they're on these red edit boards. And they started figuring out like, hey, if we all rally together and buy a stock, the short sellers are going to have to buy it. And, we, and that's going to drive the demand up and it's known as a short squeeze. Right. And it's insanity that happened after that. Yeah. So the power of crowds, right? the ability of social media to mobilize a bunch of individuals who never would have gotten together before. I see this as very, very similar to the Capitol riot. What happened when all those MAGA people, Trump people got together on the internet and decided we're going to go to the Capitol and we're going to break in because of social media. This is a new force of politics and apparently in in the stock market as well. And as I was watching this all happen, I don't invest. i I don't invest actively. I'm a passive investor because I feel like if I did pick stocks, I would never do anything else. Like that's my personality is I would just get obsessed with it. But I've been watching from the sidelines and it's just been so fun to watch as a millennial. Actually, this is a very millennial thing is this this feeling that we want to beat the billionaires, crush the hedge funds, beat them at their own game. Like it feels good to watch. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this unfold on CNBC and CNN and and the Wall Street Journal is freaking out about it. I'm thinking this must be what the MAGA people felt like when they were watching the Capitol riot happen. You know, we're sticking it to the man. We're we're taking down the establishment. But the man slapped back. And the only way this works is if people can keep buying the stock. It started out Robinhood. So the app we've talked about in the past, that's kind of let people just do free trades. It's like a game a little bit. It's a little addictive. Yeah, Robinhood right? is the, the free stock trading app that has paired with Reddit powered this whole thing. And apparently like 70% of all their traders were trading GameStop stock. So there's a lot of risk involved just for Robinhood themselves. But Robinhood is heavily invested by hedge fund people that had shorts in GameStop. And so they stopped allowing the common traders to trade, the common man to trade that stock. So then people started running to the competing products, these other apps that are out there. And the same thing happened there. So the the market force, not the market forces, the... Uh, so the, that's interesting because that's the narrative online. That's one of the explanations is that their investor is also invested in hedge funds and, and told them to stop. Now, there's no evidence that this happened, that 
they were directed to do this. The other explanation, the alternative explanation, which is more reasonable, is that Robinhood doesn't actually execute the trades. They sell the orders from their users to a clearinghouse. And then the clearinghouse then matches up the sellers and the buyers. Robinhood earns pennies on every single order, and the clearinghouse earns a take as well. So every order, they take a little bit. The clearinghouse, because of the volume and the volatility, increased the requirements by Robinhood. So Robinhood had to go and raise like another billion dollars in order to put down more money on deposit with that clearinghouse. And they stopped the trades in advance of that because they were running out. So I don't know which one is true. Maybe both are true, but they definitely did a really bad job. Like when the founder or the CEO, Vlad something went on CNN, he really failed to explain what was happening. And so now all these Robinhood traders are really, really pissed off at Robinhood because they think that Robinhood betrayed them. And there's now investigations. The SEC is going to look into everything. And, and so, you know, things are have tipped to a new <laughs> point when AOC and Ted Cruz are agreeing. <laughs> so, they're agreeing that something needs to be done about this. So, it, we'll, we'll see. This story is not going to be over. And it, it's very historical what's happening. Like, this has never happened before. It's, 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 it's frankly a little bit insane. And, and I love the tweet you had out earlier in the week, the fact that the White House said they were watching GameStop and you're like, oh, 2021 is shaping up just to be as crazy as 2020, right? It's amazing. So it's amazing. A subreddit on the internet managed to make this happen by people egging each other on, by encouraging each other to invest in this stock. And the thing that it, it's amazing about it is that it has nothing to do with the underlying financial statements. The big four accountant on Twitter, you know, that meme yeah. account, it had a, a great tweet uh, earlier in the week. It is clear no one reads financial statements. They got like a thousand likes. You know, it is funny as an accountant thinking that the current price of GameStop has nothing to do with the underlying financials. Now, it was started though by people on Reddit, day traders on Reddit, amateur analysts saying the hedge funds are wrong and then talking about it, right? So there is actually a basis in truth where it's not just manipulating the market. It's I, I think they're wrong. I'm going to bet. I'm talking about it on Reddit. And then it gained momentum. And bet's the right? key word and, in this, right? The And that's where I saw somebody uh, post, like, maybe if online gambling was just legalized, you wouldn't see as much gambling in the stock market. Like, people are bored. They have some extra cash in their savings accounts. There's not much for you to do. You're locked in your house and people are gambling in, in ways we've never even seen before because now they're collaborating together to gamble. So, there's two groups that drove this up. One is, you know, I want to make money quickly. And I'm, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna see this trend happening, and I'm gonna jump on the train as it's going up. And then there's also people who hate Wall Street and want to see it burn. And I think that's actually a very millennial thing because you know, David, like just my personal story, and the reason I find this so amusing and I love it, even though I understand Wall Street creates a lot of value for the economy and the big picture, like I you know, freaking hate those people. And the reason is that I, I graduated from college in 2006, and you know, what happened two years later? The whole economy cratered in the Great Recession because of the mortgage crisis, because all of these Wall Street people were committing fraud and, and derivatives and just cratered the economy at their own gain. And guess, guess how many people went to jail for that? Just Martha Stewart. Just Martha. Martha's the only one who went down. She's the only Insider one. Trading. Yeah. Was that, was that related to it? It was all in the same time period. Yeah. Yeah. Mar- Mar- Martha, yeah, but Martha I'm saying was like the one who got spanked, even though she was barely the guilty one. Well, I, look, the whole, th- but the point is that not a single person who profited from destroying our economy in the Great Recession went to jail and it totally destroyed careers of every millennial who was working at that time because we all got laid off. You know, it's last in, first out in a lot of cases, or we watched our parents lose their jobs because of this. And it took 10 years to climb out. And that was all created by boomers, right? And then guess what? Now, 10 years later, we have another crisis created by a boomer. So, you know, we're not exactly the biggest fans of the establishment, right? When it comes to politics or Wall Street, and we're pissed off. And it's fun to watch hedge funds and billionaires it's fun. get squeezed. <laughs> it's fun. You know, like it feels great. Um, and so that's why I was saying like, it, this must be how the MAGA people yeah. feel about, you know, the capital, right? It's like, I feel the same way. It's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm watching from the sidelines. I'm thinking this is, this is great, you know, power to the people. So I sympathize. Yeah. So before that. I move yeah. off of the, the whole, uh, GameStop story, the cloud accounting podcast would not even exist if it wasn't for GameStop. 
how is this? <laughs> so how is this? So I used to work for a company called Babbage's. Babbage's was computer software. I remember. I actually remember selling Quicken in boxes at the mall. I worked at the mall, right? It was monster margins, right? They were doing really great. Then Best Buy came along. And Best Buy started selling video games and computer software $1 above cost. So if you were an established mall player, it disrupted you. And now, you know, as time's gone on now, Best Buy was the one crying about Amazon, right? There's always a bigger fish that, that disrupts you, right? So they had a company called Babbage's. Things got tough, almost declared bankruptcy. So they merged with a competing company called Software Etc. Software Etc. They were they were broken out from the back rooms of B. Dalton bookstores. I don't know if you remember B. Dalton, who eventually yes. was part of the Barnes & Noble group. So they merged together. Two losers merging together. It's usually not going to become a winner. So they eventually declared bankruptcy. So they declared bankruptcy. This was November of or October, November of 1996. They went up for auction. Pretty much the same people that owned them rebought them. So it was the Lenrigio Group and Barnes and Noble Group that bought this company. So they already had, they were already the major shareholders. They did not pay their bills, declared bankruptcy, folded the whole thing up, resold it, bought it at a discount. So it's just a game, right? And that's when I chose. I'm waiting for that, you to This get is when I point. chose. This is when I chose to. They basically said, "So it's a new company. You could choose to have your relationship with the new company or not." And that's when I left and got a job into it. So you left. GameStop, basically, because of that, all that. Yeah, basically, when GameStop was created. Because then what they did is they, when they bought the company, they wound up spinning out. And eventually, Barnes & Noble spun out GameStop as its own separate stock. Got it. But basically, the birth of GameStop is when I left and joined into it. And then, obviously, and da, 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 we wouldn't have a podcast if it wasn't for GameStop. We would never have met. That gives me nostalgia. I remember going to Babbage's with my dad, you know, when I was 10 years old to buy, like, one of those stupid ergonomic Microsoft keyboards. Remember when that was all the rage? Yes. <laughs> and, and I remember selling uh, like Quicken every year, just boxes and boxes of Quicken and TurboTax. And then I remember when QuickBooks 1.0 dots came out. And I remember putting it on the shelves in the store and selling QuickBooks. So I've, yeah, it's always, QuickBooks has always been kind of uh, right there the whole time. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by QuickFee. Have you ever had a client that needed your services and requested a payment plan, but they didn't want to apply for a loan, open a new line of credit, or sadly, they were just declined by the bank? And let's be honest, you probably didn't want to deal with the credit applications, credit checks, or that embarrassing you've been denied conversation. Imagine giving your clients the key to unlocking interest-free, reward-earning monthly payment plans. QuickFee allows your clients to pay outstanding fees in up to 12 installments where your firm gets paid upfront and in full. With zero technical implementation needed, QuickFee is the risk-free way to offer your clients the payment terms they need, allowing you to focus on delivering the services they deserve. To beat the bank with QuickFee installments and join CheckFree and offering the responsible alternative to financing, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash quickfee. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Q-U-I-C-K-F-E-E. So you mentioned uh, about the insurrection and riots, and now people are, and now even the GameStopper stock people are very upset. Well, there's a whole other group of people that are very upset. Remember, we talked about the Sage outage in South Africa last week. Yeah, it was over five days at that point. Is it still going? I mean, what's going on? It's still going. So this is an article from uh, Business Insider South Africa. The title of the article says, Sage customers are losing their minds and could face SARS trouble after outages, SARS being the South African Revenue Agency. They said, customers of cloud accounting system from Sage are threatening legal action, protest march, marches, and arson on top of demanding refunds and scalps for the outage Thursday. Arson and, and, and protest marches? This, is, this doesn't sound like cloud accounting to me. Some took to Sage's own platforms to express more than mild disapproval. And more private forums and conversations, lurid threats of violence were common. Wow. Wow. And, and I didn't understand the full scope of this, and I still truly don't, but we did get an amazing voicemail that I think is going to summarize it more than you and I can of what's happening. Let's go ahead and take a listen. You've got mail. 
Hi, David. You're on here from South Africa. I'm a chartered accountant, and uh, I just thought I sent a message after you guys have mentioned the Sage outage uh, on the show. And yes, it's almost been two weeks now that we've experienced this outage from Sage, and it is only in South Africa, but it's a major outage, uh, basically affecting everyone struggling to connect. The moment that you get on, you get an error, and it kicks you off, uh, and it obviously has a very detrimental effect if you can't sync your invoices. If you can't sync your invoices, you can't get paid. Um, and also with the VAT uh, submissions to our South African Revenue Service. But what you need to understand regarding Sage is before the online product, there was Sage Pastel. Uh, and Pastel was like in the US, your QuickBooks uh, desktop is essentially everyone used it. So everyone used Sage desktop uh, or Pastel desktop in South Africa. Then a few years, uh, quite a few years ago, Sage bought Pastel. Uh, and what eventually happened is they converted or started transitioning some of that Pastel uh, users over to their various cloud subscriptions, uh, similar to, I guess, what you would see with QuickBooks in the US, uh, wanting to transition their people over from the desktop version over to the cloud version. So Pastel in that sense has been the stalwart in South Africa. Everyone has used it. Most of the accountants have used it. Your businesses have used it. And a lot of people have transitioned over to the cloud. So this in essence has the probably the biggest impact, almost say bigger than COVID on the South African small business economy. Uh, hence, SARS also issued their uh, notification. And just as a closing thought, so obviously we we are now sitting in, in the second week of it, uh, nearing almost to two full weeks, hoping for full functionality to be restored come early next week. And yeah, with a bit of luck, we'll be able to sort things out. Uh, needless to say, I think this is, uh, Zero is going to be very happy with this. Uh, what I can see is there's a lot of people turning to them at the moment for conversions at the start of the financial year, which would be first of March. So very, very bad timing for Sage. I'm sure they're going to lose a lot of subscribers due to this. And yeah, maybe even QuickBooks Online here in South Africa will maybe get a few subscribers. Who knows? But any guys, love your show. Keep it up. Thanks so much. So thanks, Johan. The strong statement I think that I think was in there is how you are framing this as being worse for small businesses. This outage is worse than COVID for small business, the impact of COVID. That's amazing. Um, well, I'm really sorry to hear about this. And I mean, this might be the worst outage that we have covered in the three years of doing this podcast. Although there, there was that, um, there was the hosting company that was out for multiple the weeks, but company. this is, you know, at least with the hosting company, if you made your backups, you could get the backup and download it to a desktop file and, and keep going. But, you know, with this, with this, what do you do? And this sounds like it's pretty major. This would be like QuickBooks online or QuickBooks being down for two straight weeks. Like the, the yeah, vast yeah. majority of businesses are on this and they're, they're stuck. They can't do anything. We also got an email from a listener that I'd love to read. Dear Blake and David, please do not use my name if you mention the item below. So I'm not going to mention the name of this listener. I must agree with Blake on PPP guilt. Nearly every bookkeeping client I have got a PPP loan. Only one really needed it and then did not use it exactly as intended. The others did not need it. I feel some anxiety for facilitating this in any way. On another note, I am a 25 plus year user of Quicken. I can tell you exactly how much it costs to raise two sons and put them through college. It is how I got into bookkeeping to begin with, working as a volunteer bookkeeper with the school orchestra and local quilt guild. I must say, once I learned QuickBooks Online, Quicken began feeling a little sluggish and cumbersome. I agree with David that the bank feeds are not great with the investments and are non-existent with the 401ks. I don't trust the investment bank feeds to enter transactions the way I want them entered either. I have a great big basket where we throw our receipts so I can enter them, but maybe I don't need to do that anymore. Hard habit to break. I love your podcast. It is always interesting covering items I would never hear of otherwise, but nevertheless important to bookkeeping. Keep up the great work. And thank you. I'm not going to say whose name that was. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And David, if our listeners want to send us a message, one of the best ways they can do that is by writing a review. 
we will read those on the air. So what's the best place for them to write a review? So if you're an Apple person, you can do it inside of Apple Podcasts, just right inside your phone during the app, you can write a review. If you're not, if you're listening in some other fashion, you can go to podchaser.com, search for the Cloud Accounting Podcast and write a review there. And then Podchaser reviews populate in uh, other apps around the uh, the interwebs. Or you can also leave us a voicemail. Yes. That's easy to do. We have a voicemail number. It's a Google voice number. It goes straight to voicemail. That number is 202 695 1040. It'll cut you off after three minutes to so try to keep it around two. And I have to say, Johan was very tech savvy and taught me something that I didn't even know existed, which was the ability to send an audio message on LinkedIn. This, this must be a brand new thing. That's how he sent us his message. And the quality is actually really quite good. So you're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message that way if you prefer. So you're telling me no LinkedIn spammer has ever not left you voice notes like this? Not yet. I'm waiting for it. Oh, they're bad. They're bad. <laughs> they're bad. Oh, no. Well, I've been pretty good at, at filtering out those requests. I ask, if you're a listener, please tell me you listen to the show. If you just send me a blind invite, there's a chance that I will just ignore it. But pressing that play button is very irresistible. It's hard it is. To do. You want to know, right? <laughs> Let's talk about apps. So, David, I got to kick things off. I mean, Melio, you're a, a unicorn. Congratulations on riding the unicorn to how much money did you guys raise? Uh, Melio took another $110 million funding round. Wow. So that was just after months after the previous funding round. So now uh, Melio has a $1.3 billion valuation. So, you know, when are you going to quit and just be a full-time podcaster, Dave? Podcast, like, that's, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 what this means is because Melio has been growing like crazy. So they grew over 2,000% in 2020. 2000%. This is this is like better than uh, GameStop stock, right? As far as from growth perspectives, right? So it's just massive growth, mm-hmm. which means massive hiring, more engineers, more product development, right? More marketing, more sales and support, right? It's just really going to hyper grow the company um, because the demand's there. And you're hiring, right? Yeah, I'm hiring for the uh, accountants team. So if you have a quick tech support background, you are uh, interested in sales, you love to talk to accountants and bookkeepers, absolutely reach out. So, so David, you got to give me more though. You know, our listeners want us to dig into these stories and you're in Melio. So what can you tell me about this raise and about what's going to happen next? I mean, it's the... Or are you sworn to secrecy? I mean, the next is just keep growing. Melio has been growing like crazy and, it, and this is just more money to keep growing. I mean, ultimately, and we can get into this because, uh, you know, there's other accounts payable news. Expensify announced that they're now going to do um, accounts payable and accounts receivable, both both sides yep, of the equation. Yep. Melio already does that. There's really a race to be, quote unquote, the Venmo of small business, right? And you have to keep growing by hiring people ultimately, or you can't handle the volume coming in. Well, you mentioned them, so I, w- I don't have to feel bad about bringing up your competitor. <laughs> Expensify has added bill pay and invoicing to their expense management expense reporting product and it's free they added the bill pay a little while ago we talked about that but the invoicing i think is brand new and i logged into my personal expensify account which i have not used in a long time to test this out david and i sent you a one dollar invoice a bit earlier to see what it what it's like and how, how it works how long ago did you send that because i've not seen anything come through well my account is stuck in verification i had to like submit okay like, front and back copies of my driver's license and all this stuff. And then there's like an address mismatch. So I, I don't even know, maybe my account's not working. What I what I found was interesting is that I don't think you can disable the ability to pay by a credit card on these invoices. So your, your recipient will have the ability to pay by ACH or credit card. And it looks like if they pay by credit card, you're going to pay the Stripe fee. So it's around 3% of the transaction. So that's something that I would love to see added is the ability to say, I only want to get paid by ACH. And then the other thing is that deposits are weekly, um, and then ACH can take up to 10 days, according to the help article I read. So just know that if you're going to deploy this out to your um, customers, that's something you should know. But I mean, other than that... I wonder if that's a play because they want everybody to keep their money in that expensive iCash app. I don't know. And use that for everything. That's interesting. Well, um, and it didn't say anything about the money going into the cash app, as far as I could tell. So The, the interesting quote I saw from David Barrett in this, which kind of... I'll read the quote and then I'll tell you where my brain went after after I read this. So, uh, solving AP and AR end to end with the same platform, Expensify is truly a one stop shop for everything that a business needs to run its back office. I, I read that, and what I see or hear is 
I wonder if Expensify has GL plans. If you're an individual or you're a small business, you can already use Expensify to track all your expenses and then do an annual report and you know categorize all your expenses, send that to your account for tax purposes. Because I mean, I, I think Expensify, because they've been around a while, and I know they've always had good, deep integrations with the county systems, they definitely understand the GL. Yeah, yeah. And it's it just interesting. I wonder if that's a, are we going to see, in the same way, I think, you know, Receipt Bank's headed, like this whole, mm-hmm. all these pre-accounting apps, because I mean, it's funny how they, they're really putting a stake in the ground. Receipt Bank, we're a pre-accounting app, and Expensify, we're a pre-accounting app, how they're really on that march to be an accounting app and not be a pre-accounting app. One other funny thing about this invoicing thing that I saw on the help forums as I was trying to figure it out is that apparently this has been enabled for every single Expensify user across all organizations. So there are some larger organizations that are saying in the help forums, like the admins are saying, hey, uh, we really don't want every user in our company to be able to send an invoice. Oh, yes. Right? And they want to be able to disable it, but you can't. So interesting consequence of rolling something like this out. When you have many different types of businesses using your platform, like obviously this is geared toward the small businesses. Large businesses are not going to be using Expensify to send invoices, but then the option is available to everyone and it's creating confusion. Yeah, especially if, if you're, you're an employee of a Fortune 500 company and you're using Expensify app and then all of a sudden this feature is in there and you start touching it because, you know, that's what humans do, right? Like, what's this yeah, cool yeah. thing? And you start trying to play with it. And I could see, yes, some some CFO that are off uh, in, internal account and internal controllers, like, what is happening? Yep. <laughs> what are that's these right. transactions? I could see that. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. Do you have a client that has outgrown QuickBooks or Zero? Or do you have a client that is still in QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise Edition because all the current cloud accounting offerings lack the depth of features and controls that your clients need? Or maybe you have a client with legacy desktop ERP system and they are ready to move to the cloud. Let me introduce you to Odoo. Odoo is a highly customizable cloud ERP system with everything your clients need, including dozens of built-in app modules and thousands of third-party apps. By using the Odoo Studio, you can build custom forms, menus, reports, automation workflows, and even your own no-code needed app. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. So, so sticking with the accounts payable apps before we move on to other app news, have you ever heard of Roger? Uh, Roger.ai? I have. Remind me what they do. It's online bill payments, right? But it's really geared towards the automation of the scanning and gathering of them. So they're probably like really in that less of the smart business and going for that bill.com upper enterprise level automation. Well, they got purchased by a company called Fleetcore this week. And Fleetcore is, is like in the Fortune 500 offering accounts payable, scanning invoices, receipts. So this is going to allow them to have that deeper, that slightly down market into the QuickBooks Online stage in tax zero world. It allows Fleet Court to come down market by buying Roger. Got it. Well, have you heard about Pilot, David? Yes. We've talked about Pilot a lot. They are one of those, like I like to say, an accounting firm with engineers. And possibly one of the more successful ones. They have raised a $60 million Series C from Sequoia Capital that brings their total fundraising to $120 million. Does that make them bigger than Scale Factor ever raised? Or did Scale Factor? I think Scale Factor raised 100 in total. Okay. So, yes, they've raised more than Scale Factor now. What was interesting about this press release was they mentioned that they have, well, they don't say that they've had 1,000 customers, but they say that we've taken capabilities that were previously only available to large enterprises with dedicated finance and administrative teams. And we've done it for over 1,000 companies across a broad range of verticals. So that makes me think that they've had 1,000 customers total. Is that reasonable to think? Somewhere, I'm imagining based on size and scale and turnover, the the pace and how long these companies existed, but that's right a lot. I mean, scale factor was like at 750, then they fell down a little bit, but they thought they were going to get close to 1,000. So it seems like a very reasonable number. Now, if they had said they had 10,000, I'd probably call BS. If they said they have 200, I'd be like, that's very worrisome. But I think it's viable that they have, they've moved a thousand small businesses through this platform. So they just raised 60 million and they have now raised 120 million total, which means they probably spent almost all of the first 60 million because you generally try to spend it before you raise more. 
that could be wrong, but let's just assume that they have spent $60 million up to this point. That means that to get a thousand companies, they have spent $60,000 per company, which seems like a really high cost to acquire a customer. And even if it's not that, even if they only spent half the money they originally raised, that's still like in the tens of thousands of dollars per company. Can you imagine like if you were an accounting firm spending that much to acquire a customer? So I'm curious if they have cracked the code on how to do this to basically apply software type uh, growth to an accounting firm, or if these are the investors that are you know betting on the potential to do this. Because nobody has figured out how to do it yet that I've seen. Nobody has figured out how to actually get SaaS margins out of a human-powered accounting plus service business or accounting software plus a service business. And that's what we've talked about before, right? They, they don't, they're getting valuations at these SaaS company margins, but it's all humans. And, and I mean, this ultimately is what killed. We work in Uber and these companies, like they, they, the margins just aren't there. The human margins are at 40, not 90% margins. Right. Yeah. The business model doesn't grow exponentially like software. The margins are not there. Right. Like software, you can get like 80, 90% margins on your product because all you're paying for is hosting. You can't do that when you've got people. It flips, right? Often you'll have 80% costs of goods sold. The part I struggle to with these companies and these new models is they're getting the lower end of the market. They're getting those $200 a month customers. Right. Right. But the cost of acquisition is insane. Right. Right. Exactly. Like it doesn't like, like if you were spending 20 grand to acquire, a $250,000 a year engagement, maybe that makes sense. But these are $2,000 a year engagements. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So if they were spending, the way I think about it is, let, let's let's use that $60,000 number. Uh, if you're spending $60,000 to get a customer, they'd better be a $60,000 a year client, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the traditional accounting price for a firm is, you know, one times annual revenues. You wouldn't want to spend more than that generally, maybe a slight premium. The numbers don't add up quite to me. I mean, hopefully the money is being spent on the platform that will allow them to augment the people so that the people can do more and eventually replace the people most likely, right? It's just like with with Uber, the people investing in Uber right now are betting that Uber will figure out how to create self-driving cars and that'll take their margins to incredible heights. And then, you know, that'll make they'll make Uber the only way to get around because it's so cheap and so easy. Yeah. These are huge moonshot bets and yeah. we'll see how the, how they go long term. I still have other tech uh, app news. I don't know if you still have some. I do too. Yeah. I've got QuickBooks news. What do you got? What do you want to talk about? I have three articles related to payroll, but they're not the typical payroll players, but it's interesting to see how other companies are getting involved. Well, let's hear that. And then we'll talk about QuickBooks. First one is there's a company called Check. So they're a payroll infrastructure company. So think about if, if I said the word payroll is an API. So just like I can get Stripe, mm-hmm. right? And I can drop Stripe into my app and now I can take credit card payments. Or we've talked about how Stripe is going to let people just add banking features to their apps, right? And become a bank. Well, Check is doing the same thing. So let's say you have an app and you want to add payroll to your app. You can use Check's infrastructure and APIs to offer payroll in your app. But now you don't have to keep track of like, tax rules and paycheck calculations or any of that Mm. type of stuff. They do that as a service. And one of their big investors though, in this round, they just took a $35 million round is Stripe. Interesting. So Stripe could, if they ever, if you acquired them, now Stripe has the APIs for you to create your credit card, the APIs for you to start bank accounts for your clients in your app and the APIs to run payroll in your app, which now means, means Stripe owns everything, (laughs) (laughs) right? Because they're owning, they're basically owning all money movement. Yep. In a way, so so there's that that play, and then Plaid. So we've talked about Plaid before. Plaid does a lot of the bank feeds type stuff. But one of the things Plaid does is I don't know if you've noticed, you can let Plaid move money between accounts. You connect your debit card through Plaid, and then you can actually through an app move money from one bank account to another bank account. Yes, and this is why uh, Visa wanted to buy Plaid. Allegedly, was to stop them from developing that and eventually supplanting Visa's own money movement services. Because yeah, even Melio works like that. You can connect your debit card through Plaid and Melio, pay a bill with your debit card, Melio cut a paper check and mail it off to the vendor, right? right? right. So, so, so it's in there. Well, they have a new product called Plaid Link. And what this allows you to do as a consumer, 
you can actually, through Plaid, you can have it reach out to your employer and basically change your bank account information. So if I, cha- if I have a new bank, mm-hmm. right, and instead of me going to my HR department or wherever it is to change my direct deposit numbers, I can basically do it through Plaid and Plaid's playing middleman and it's going to reach out in theory to the employer or possibly the other apps. Wow. Interesting. Well, that could be really convenient, right? Because one of the big hassles of getting a new bank account is having to then go change all your direct deposit information everywhere. Yeah. So, Plaid's cool. getting in the middle of that game, which I thought was interesting, payroll related. And then we've talked about those apps that do the instant pay or daily pay. Yeah. So, that your employees can get paid at the end of every shift. They don't have to wait until two weeks are up. So, they've rolled out a different solution really geared towards employers and payroll services. So, if you ever had, when you had payroll back in the day, but like you had to ever issue like an off-cycle payroll because either an employee was quitting or had to be like, go, or maybe you screwed up the payroll and you had to quickly issue an off-cycle check. Constantly. I mean, not the screwing up the payroll, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) The off-cycle. And usually there's extra fees involved with your payroll service provider. Sometimes you have to FedEx the check overnight. There's just a lot, right? And then on top of that, the employee gets it. And then sometimes, you know, if they're unbanked, they got to pay somebody else to cash the check. So they're offering a service for payroll departments to issue issue checks this way and do the direct deposit and tie it back into daily pays service. So sorry, say that one more time. So, So they're offering a service for employers. To instead of you, when you have to cut an off-cycle paycheck, you can run it through their product called Cycle. And it uses the daily payments rails to pay that employee and bypass uh-huh. all the paper checks and the FedExing of the checks and all that. Other right, type of right. Stuff. Because you have to give that check physically in a lot of states to the employee the day that they leave, the day you terminate them. Yes. So this allows you to do that via direct deposit without having so you can skip the check so basically what we do is we just covered app news for three different payroll features and none of them are the typical payroll companies we talk about on this podcast oh man i mean i wonder if if payroll is going to be that next thing where all these payments apps have popped up over the last few years and i mean dozens and dozens and dozens now is payroll going to be the next thing that we have i've always thought and this is back when i was at intuit and i was on the payroll team so we're going back eight nine ten years ago is i always thought that payroll just in the same way avalara is a tax api why payroll can't just be payroll is an api and then let a, a thousand apps build uis on top of the payroll and what was the name of the company that's building that api uh check c-h-e-c-k so that could really power this the same way that Stripe has powered all of these payments companies, Check could power all of these payroll apps. And we might have dozens of different payroll companies now. Because that's always been the barrier to entry is if you want to create a payroll app, you had to learn all of the rules in every state and support every form filing. And it's just massive years long process. And we saw that with how long it took Gusto to get to all 50 states. It took years and years. But if you have one company do it and then allow other apps just plug into that whole infrastructure. I mean, like rewind, just think about uh, Zero's journey for US payroll. Yeah. They never got out the door. It never happened. It right, just never got out the door. But, <laughs> if this, if, but if Check was around a decade ago, they, they would have spun it. up US payroll and Zero with a Zero UI in you know, four wow. months. Interesting. Well, thank you for that, David. That is fascinating. The, the, the stories you were gathering in that regard may be very prescient in years to come. I have something that is more right now. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay Financial. Do your clients use banks that make it harder for you to close the books? Do they make it harder to deliver financial visibility for clients? I'm guessing you said yes to both these questions. And that's because traditional banks aren't designed for your relationships with your small business clients. Thankfully, Relay Financial is. Relay is FDIC-insured online banking that makes bookkeeping easy. You can access all your clients in a single portal, enjoy rich direct bank feeds to QuickBooks Online and Zero, automate payables with multi-stage approvals, and even spin up a new checking account for clients in seconds right from your browser. To join the thousands of accounting and bookkeeping firms that are standardizing their clients on Relay, check out their partner program at cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. So a few QuickBooks updates. PPP loan applications are now available within QuickBooks. 
And it's funny, David, I know that one of the things you don't like about the QuickBooks blog is that there are no dates on the articles. And <laughs> I struggle I'm, with that. I never know what I'm looking at. All right, I'm looking at this article right now, and I realize I don't know when it was published. And it says, starting today, <laughs> certain eligible QuickBooks customers seeking a second paycheck protection program loan can now start the application process. But I don't know when that was because they don't have a date on the article. Uh, that's just a side note. Uh, continuing on, this will allow people who have previously received a PPP loan to apply and get a second one of up to $150,000. So it's only available to those who are doing a second round application. Now, we also have some updates to QuickBooks Online in January. I'm going to try and sort through this to find the most interesting things. So in QuickBooks Online Advanced, you can now create custom sales roles by location, meaning you can delegate sales form duties to sales reps by location and empower your sales team with the information they need to get more done. You can also edit custom fields while editing invoices in batch mode in QuickBooks Online Advanced. Multiple work locations are now available in QuickBooks Online Payroll. Previously, work location changes could only be done by the support team. Wow, which that would have been onerous. Now you can actually make the changes yourself inside the product for both new and existing employees. There's also the ability to import data from Google Sheets. That's cool. So I guess it used to only be with Excel. Now you can connect a Google Sheet to import your data, such as customers, vendors, chart of accounts, products, and services with ease. So if you're setting up a new account and you're importing stuff from like a previous accounting system, you don't have to use Excel if you don't want to. You can use Google Sheets. And I think other features that we've talked about in the past from QuickBooks are finally rolling out. I, I noticed tags now appear in my QuickBooks Online. I've yet to use them, but I have the field. I can uh, tag things if I want. And the other thing is I finally got my QuickBooks Cash Bank account inside of QuickBooks. So I now officially have a QuickBooks Bank account with I really transferred real money in there and I used it to pay one bill. So I have a real bank account inside of QuickBooks. Um, it's not as integrated as much as I thought it would be thus far. But it's, uh, I don't have to leave to go to some other website to see my bank information. It's just, it's like having a bank right there inside of QuickBooks, literally. And you can see your current balance at all times, which is kind of nice, right? Yes, but it, it's, it's a little, it feels disconnected still at some level because it's a different screen. Oh, uh, okay. It's not really integrated to the bank feed screen, it, it, even though there is a bank feed for it and it is in my bank feeds, but it's not, there's still a little bit of jumping, you know, instead of me jumping to a new browser tab to a bank website. It's just a different screen inside of QuickBooks. Got it. So I got one last app story, and this is about TaxJar, the sales tax automation company. I like to think of them as Avalara, but for the small business market or the smaller businesses. So this is a story about a product manager for TaxJar's autofile service, Walid Kabaha, who noticed a problem with the way that Tennessee was dealing with sales tax rate changes in Tennessee in the past, it's been common to have these rate changes enacted midway through a tax period, which is really challenging for merchants because they've collected sales tax based on the rate at the beginning of the period. But then at the end of the period, they have to re-remit on a new rate regardless of when they collected the taxes or if the rate occurred before or after. So it's, it's, a, it's basically like the rules are changing in the middle of the period. And in the middle of Q2 2020, Tennessee did a significant change where they updated the rates for multiple jurisdictions from 2% and 2.25% to 2.75%. So a whole half a percent or three quarters of a percent difference. And that was going to have a big impact on customers who are filing quarterly and annual returns for 2020. So Taxstar actually contacted the Tennessee Department of Revenue to see what could be done and collaborated with the Tennessee Department of Revenue to fix this for merchants. Now the merchants are going to be able to use legacy sales tax rates through the full tax period, remitting the extra sales tax collected after the new rate was enacted as excess tax. Just an example of an app actually working on behalf of its customers to solve a problem for its customers in Tennessee or serving Tennessee customers or paying tax in Tennessee. And then, you know, that ended up like helping all merchants in Tennessee. That's amazing because I, th I feel like if you're in, if you have a, a tax app, right, and you're calculating taxes, you want things as messy as possible so people become more dependent on your app. <laughs> but now there's vested interests of like, hey, I should use that app because that app has my back. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, no, it's a good story. That's a great find. Um, great story. That. I have one more small piece of app news. Are you familiar with Tax Act? Yeah, I actually used them at one point. 
to for, file for my personal taxes. taxes. Yeah. Do they yeah. have so apparently it looks like they have a professional platform as well, or for, for they they do uh they offer a professional version for yeah, tax I don't, preparers. I think it's like super popular, but yes, okay. they might be taking it more serious now because what they've done is they've now um, paired up with TaxDome. So TaxDome is a newer startup to build out your tax flow and practice management offerings. So together, um, TaxX said they've been in searching for a product to deliver the core needs of tax professionals, including practice management, e-signature, customizable website, secure file storage, customer relationships management, client portal, mobile app capabilities. TaxDome offers all of these. So TaxDome doesn't do tax stuff. They just do all the management of your back end, and then TaxAct does the tax. So it looks like they're, uh, these two are now getting in bed and TaxAct is taking um, professionals a lot more seriously. So speaking of tax software, let's talk about tax season, David. It's starting on February 12th. So by the time this episode drops, it'll be February. Tax filing season will open. And the IRS chief, Commissioner Charles Reddig, said Thursday that the IRS has uh, caught up on the mail, apparently. That statement was uh, met with derision on Twitter among the hashtag tax Twitter crowd. The joke is that they probably opened the mail and now it's all just sitting in stacks <laughs> waiting to I get I was going to say, because I thought they had they were eight months behind. Yeah. And you're right. They probably just opened the envelopes, threw the envelopes away and stacked up the, the paper. Not possible. And, and people are still getting notices for stuff that was like over the summer or like a year ago. It's just, there's no way. Uh, so that's going to be a little bit messy probably for this tax season. And then there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about how tax season is coming and quote, it could be messy. Here's why this tax season could be messier than usual, according to the Wall Street Journal. Due to the pandemic, many taxpayers will forego the usual in-person meetings. So they're going to have to do remote meetings that can make things more challenging. Millions will need to file tax returns to get the balance they are owed for stimulus payments. And others will be surprised to learn that unemployment insurance benefits are taxable. And I think that's a big one because a lot of people have been living off of expanded unemployment insurance and that stuff's taxable. So even if you spent all that money, you may owe tax and not get a rebate or a refund at the end of the year like you're normally used to. So that could create some, um, I know, some tension. And then the Wall Street Journal also mentions the complexities of state tax rules for remote work, which we've discussed in the past. That's going to surprise a lot of people as well to find out that you know they may still owe tax in the state that they left, even though they're not living there, their employer is there. And so the, the rules about nexus and all this stuff like vary from state to state. They might end up owing tax in two states, potentially, if the states don't work things out. But for the same money, they might get double taxed, potentially. You mentioned that unemployment is taxable. I have a story that uh, the this is this in journal Journal of Accountancy. I have a story about the IRS is warning taxpayers of an identity theft scam involving fraudulent claims for state unemployment benefits. So the IRS is telling people if you receive a 1099G, which is for certain government payments, and you didn't actually file unemployment, you need to contact the state unemployment agency to get this form corrected, right? So you can actually file correctly on your taxes that you sh- you. Because basically, you need to get a 1099G showing zero unemployment benefits because they mistakenly filed for you. Now, what's interesting about this story is what caught my eye is I got a letter from the state of Arizona's unemployment office, Department of Economic Security, saying how an employee, David Leary, has filed an unemployment claim against my company, Sombrero Apps Company. Oh, no. So, you, you're a victim. I might have some identity theft happening here. So I've, I've reached out to try to understand. I was, I didn't, I, I was confused what the next steps were. Cause I, cause I think it was one of those letters where I, you know, you, as an employer, you get a chance to de- deny the claim. Yeah. But I was very confused because I'm like, that's me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like sense. And you didn't, you didn't file for unemployment against your own company. Yeah. Wow. So now I feel like I have to, have to fix it possibly on two sides. I feel like I'm going to fix it from a business owner's perspective, but now I'm going to have to also fix it on a personal perspective. Oh my gosh. Because I think maybe somebody filed unemployment as me. Well, this is a big problem. This unemployment fraud thing may be actually bigger than paycheck protection program fraud. It could be incredibly massive, especially in a state like California, where the Employment Development Department reported that 27% of California unemployment payments could be fraudulent. We're talking tens of billions of dollars. At least 11 billion in unemployment claims made in California during the pandemic were fraudulent, state officials revealed on Monday. And it could be 
even more. It could be more than a quarter of the $114 billion paid out since government-ordered business shutdowns began in March. And the PPP fraud number was in the single digits. So like this is potentially five, 10 times bigger than that. And that's just in one state, California. Wow. Amazing, right? Mind-boggling numbers here. And, and this is a tech issue in the end in that all of these state unemployment systems have not been modernized, were in some cases deliberately set up to be hard to use so that people well, we, wouldn't- We covered uh, that in April and May, right? Yeah. There were people were waiting six, eight weeks on hold on a telephone call to get unemployment yeah. benefits. So not only were legitimate unemployment claims being delayed, a huge percentage of claims that we're getting through were fraudulent. Just awful. And as of January 20th, the EDD, this is the state department that manages unemployment in California, their backlog of unpaid unemployment claims was almost a million. Do you think the release of the PPP loan information is making this that much easier to do? Because now you just have to do work to figure out what companies existed right. and track down their EINs. And now you could just download a spreadsheet of PPP loan data that has the EIN, it has the company name, address, all the details, and you just start pumping off fraudulent I stuff. I wonder, actually. I really wonder if that did it. Because now you have a list of current employers. Well, I got some positive news on the tax side this week. Two forms, the power of attorney and declaration of representatives forms, 2848 and 8821, are now online. This is part of the IRS push to modernize and make it possible to submit forms online and not by the standard method, which is still fax or US mail. Again, on tax Twitter, people were talking about actually how easy it is to use and to get these power of attorneys sent in. And this is really important because you can't really do anything as a tax preparer on behalf of your client until you have that thing filed and accepted by the IRS. So like if you want to pull a tax transcript, you know, do other stuff, you got to have the power of attorney. Uh, so that's making lives easier. And this is an ongoing thing. The IRS commissioner, Chuck Reddick, said that this is a first step in our ongoing efforts to expand digital options for tax professionals using electronic signatures and online uploads. And he continued um, to say that this summer, the IRS plans to launch the TaxPro account, which is going to allow tax pros to initiate a third-party authorization on irs.gov and send it to a client's IRS online account. So like this is going to allow basically you to do that e-signature through the IRS, not have to use a separate system. That's what it sounds like to me. Sounds like progress. Yeah, big progress, actually. And they've also named a chief taxpayer experience officer position. Like, that's a big deal, thinking about this. Like, somebody got named in the position, or is this something they're hiring for? You could be a little cynical about it, because it is an existing person who's just been given this title. The uh, The new chief experience officer, or chief taxpayer experience officer, is Ken Corbin, who is currently the IRS Wage and Investment Commissioner. He's taken on the new role while continuing to serve in his existing position, overseeing the agency's largest operating division. Uh, but hey, you know, at least they're thinking about this. I love the thought of the. I love the thought of the position, and I'd love to see them like, oh, we're bringing in so and so from Disney. Bring someone in from Intuit, perhaps people that know how to build customer. Well, it's experience. very yeah, customer experience, very customer focused, right? Yeah. So you're, I'm, I'm really thinking more of you know somebody from Southwest Airlines, somebody from uh, Neiman Marcus, right? Yeah, there's, yeah. There's I mean, people that that are all about that customer wow, right? That Disney experience. Someone from Amazon. Amazon is famous for their customer experience. It's like they everything they do is about Nobody customers. from Amazon needs to be into our taxes. That, 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 that's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to be going down those paths. Ah. That's a good story though. I, I, I'm, that, that, it's amazing that the, uh, you know, the experience for all of us could be better with the, the taxes. Yeah. And the IRS. So where do you want to go next? Let's see. Oh, we're almost out of time. And I want to make sure that we play the other voicemail that we got this week. Here we go. Hey, Blake and David, Geraldine Carter here from the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. And I want to bring up something that I heard in one of your recent episodes. You briefly brought up a super important topic by a professor who talked about gap accounting's inability to accurately account for intangibles and the problems that creates for business owners. And this is such an important thread to pull out because just as CPAs have trouble accounting for intangibles that, in air quotes, don't exist, 
they have equal trouble being able to price intangibles because how do you price intangibles? Putting a price on intangibles is tricky, but that shouldn't stop your listeners from knowing how to do it. Because if you can do it, it will help you get out of hourly billing if you haven't already, and it will help you improve your ability to get closer to the value when you assign a price. So I want to give your listeners a way to think about measuring intangibles in three simple steps. The first is just because something is intangible doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You cannot, for example, touch stress, but you know stress exists. The second is that just because something is intangible doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Right now we are recognizing the value of connection and joy in our lives, especially now that we have so much less opportunity to experience those things. The third is just because something is intangible doesn't mean that it's immeasurable. You can tell, for example, when someone is a little bit stressed or a lot bit stressed. Somehow you're measuring it. So the trick is to determine what metrics you are using to measure the thing. But it's tricky and it takes a little intellectual work to get there. And you can see why it's so much easier to say, I know how to measure an hour, so I'll just bill for that. So back to the three steps. If it's an intangible that matters, it's observable. If it's observable, you can know an amount. Do you have a lot of the thing or a little of the thing? And if you can know whether you have a lot of the thing or a little of the thing, then somehow you are measuring it. And the trick is to figure out what the metric is that you are using to measure it. And if you can measure it, you can work from there into the value. And once you have the value, you can move into the price. And then you can get out of billing by the hour, which we all know is a complete train wreck for your business. So for your listeners, I hope that helps. And from one podcaster to another, keep up the great work. I know how much work it can be to produce these things week after week. So thanks for putting out a great show every week. Thank you, Geraldine. That was Really interesting. And I never thought about connecting intangibles in accounting to pricing and and value pricing. I love that that way of thinking about it. That makes sense because when you value price, you're really pricing the intangible benefit here. So if you want to hear more from Geraldine and if you want to hear my interview on Geraldine's podcast, head over to smartstrategyforcpas.com and check that out. Uh, I was on episode 120 recently and had a great conversation with Geraldine all about cloud tech and remote work and software. I enjoyed it a lot. And I think that's all the time we got for this week, David. I'm out of stories. There's no more news. If you want to follow me online, connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. If you connect with me on LinkedIn, just let me know you're a listener to the show in the um, in the note when you connect. How about you, David? Uh, I'm easy to find. I'm at David Leary. Also, if you have news articles, like always tag Blake and I in those posts. If you share them online, tag the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Feel free. If it's something you don't want to be public, you can email it to us. You could send it to us in a message on LinkedIn. But we'd love any articles, especially if you think we're missing something or something that we need to make sure we talk about on the show. Please raise our attention to it. All right. Until next week, stay sane, stay safe, David. Bye-bye. Time for the classifieds. How does your firm manage tech discovery? Hundreds of tools are launching around the globe every week and identifying the right tech to help run your firm and advise your clients is growing more and more complex. Launch for Accountants reviews hundreds of new tech launches each week in the accounting, fintech, and B2B space. They handpick their favorites for accountants and send them directly to your inbox every Sunday. In 2020, Launch for Accountants reviewed over 8,000 product launches. To get the six best launches of the week in your inbox each Sunday, sign up at launchfa.com. That's launchfa.com. Does your sales team know which invoices are overdue, due, or paid, or which clients have been invoiced, or what the total receivables are? Birdwinner for NetSuite offers a powerful two-way integration solution between NetSuite and Salesforce and can be set up and configured in just under a day. Your team can raise NetSuite sales orders as invoices, 
track their status, quote complex NetSuite pricing, and much more, all from within Salesforce. Get the integration that works immediately and save staff time, increase data accuracy, and accelerate your business sales cycle. Start your free trial of Breadwinner for NetSuite today at breadwinner.com slash NetSuite Salesforce. We want to tell you about a new app on the QuickBooks App Store called Uncat. It has nothing to do with cats. It has everything to do with fixing uncategorized expenses. If you're still exporting spreadsheets of uncategorized expenses from QBO to send to your clients, you need to stop doing that. Uncat notifies your clients about uncategorized expenses and lets them add descriptions and receipts online. You can then assign expenses to the right accounts and everything syncs with QBO so you don't have to copy and paste anything. Uncat is fast and easy for you and your clients so everybody's happier. So ditch the spreadsheets and manual data entry and head over to uncat.com. As a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, your first client is free. That's www.uncat.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.